Oh, hey, everybody. Uh, we are back again. And uh, just want to let you guys know that, well, I think these intros will probably become more and more regular. I like to give a quick little shout out to our guests before you actually get to know them a little bit more as we uh, do the episode. But uh, this week we were joined, well, we, I mean, me. Um, I was joined by uh, a friend of a friend. Uh, this is uh, my buddy Cliff Myers, uh, Clifford Myers, actually. Uh, Cliff is a stand-up comedian. I don't know if com- comedian or comic is the right word. I feel like maybe one's offensive, one's not. I don't know. Anyways, the fact is that Cliff is a stand-up comedian over in uh, southern Ontario, and uh, Cliff has had a pretty pretty wild life. You guys are going to hear about quite a bit of it, and uh, yeah, I hope you guys uh, really enjoy it. Um, I mean, I feel like I have no reason to kind of give a disclaimer about language ever because, I mean, whatever comes out of mine and Tarek's mouth comes out of mine and Tarek's mouth, um, but just so you guys are aware, this probably wouldn't be... Uh, an episode I would advise you to listen to in a public place with uh, the volume turned up loud or, you know, if you have young children in the car or wherever you might be going, uh, might be a wise time to turn this off and, and maybe just do it while you're sitting by yourself uh, or around other mature audience members who might be able to appreciate uh, the conversation and can tolerate the language, I guess, as well. But, uh, yeah, I hope you guys really enjoy this. Cliff is a really transparent guy, uh, is more than happy to kind of dive into any of the, uh, good and the bad of his life. Um, pretty, pretty powerful message that Cliff has going on and, uh, I hope you guys really enjoy it. It is a little longer. Obviously you saw that when you downloaded it, like we're talking around two hours, which I would love to be the norm, but at the same time, if you guys aren't a big fan of the two-hour podcast let us know because we can always trim it back down to the one hour but i would like to get you know longer conversations happening for you guys um just gives you an opportunity and us uh to get to know these people a little more get them you know to open up a little bit so that uh you know conversation isn't stiff it's not you know over by the time that uh that that we really get into you know some some really good conversation so uh, yeah, test this one out. Tell me what you guys think. And uh, if you absolutely despise it, you're like, Matt, this is just too freaking long. Let me know. Let me know. Please send us a Facebook message. Send us um, an, an email. If you know me personally, send me a text message. Give me a call. I don't care. Um, we can talk about it a little bit. And uh, yeah, and if you love it, let me know that too, I guess. Anyways, this is Clifford Myers. Uh, and I hope you guys really enjoy this. Yeah, let's start the podcast like now so I can go okay. into like podcast mode. <laughs> Deal. Okay, we are starting now. Okay. okay. <laughs> so bamboozled. I, I might even leave that part in so people are like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> uh, no, I think that's nice. Okay, this is my man Clifford Myers. Cliff, did you go by Clifford at all times or is it Cliff? Yeah, you know, my friends, they call me Cliff, but I, like, on stage, I'll, like, rip your head off if you don't call me Clifford. Really? Like, 
Yeah, that's uh, that's my business name. It's my professional name. Yeah, Clifford Myers. You know, it sounds like a comedian. Cliff Myers. Ah, who, who cares about that guy? Right. Okay. You know? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Dude, yeah. I mean, you know, so for those that don't know, um, Cliff and I, or Clifford, I'm going to start calling Clifford. You can call me Cliff on the podcast, nope, though. Nope, forget that. It's Clifford. Out. Okay, that, that sounds more more buddy-esque anyways yeah i feel like cliff is like yeah in the living room buddies like we're both in our underwear right now this isn't too formal exactly so, exactly me <laughs> cliff you're maddie b yeah we're living the dream this, this is good so cliff and i got connected through our mutual friend ben who's been on the podcast a couple times um cliff is a stand-up comedian out in uh southern ontario and um yeah, man. I I suppose one of the biggest things is like, uh, are did you always live in like the Hamilton region? Well, kind of. If you're familiar with the area, I was on the west, no, east side of Toronto initially, Oshawa, where GM was initially formed. Okay. So R.S. McLaughlin came to Oshawa and created GM, and we had two major plants there for most of my childhood. And, uh, yeah, and then I eventually made my way to Hamilton. I just kind of have an affinity for shitty cities, you know, <laughs> like run-down factory towns with the, the ghosts of factory workers wandering the streets. That's kind of my thing. Because, uh, like, Hamilton is, uh, we had Stelco. It's still here, but not, like, as booming as it once was. We had a very booming steel industry. Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah, in Hamilton, they built that steel industry along our harbor, thinking that that industry would, you know, exist and boom and flourish forever. And then uh, it didn't because other people figured out how to make money off steel. And now we just have like this kind of weird, it's a city, but it feels ghostly because yeah. like, you know, like Toronto, they use their shoreline for condos and development. Right. Right. Where ours is steel and pollution. And we still have, <laughs> we have a factory that literally at nighttime shoots flames of fire in the air, like freaking Mordor. <laughs> Like, like you're looking at the eye. You're just like, oh, my gosh, I got to destroy the ring. Like, that's where I live. I, like, we have a mountain size, technically a mountain. It feels more like a molehill. It's very small. But, like, you go to the top of it, and you can just look at Gotham and the flaming eye. And it's very weird here. <laughs> you know what? Here's the thing. I have... I've never heard like positive things ever said about Hamilton. I've always been told about how polluted, how dirty, how you feel like you've lost five to ten years off the end of your life from living there. Like, <laughs> yeah, like my kid was born here, so he kind of like breathes like he's in a hat suit all the time. You know, <laughs> like he just, just got to have this wheeze to him his whole life. Well, like, my son was born almost a, a year, uh, like, the 27th of last year. So his first birthday is coming up. And he was born with a mullet. Like, a full-fledged, wow. I know, a full-fledged mullet. And I always say that's the most Hamilton baby. <laughs> you know, like, he was born. The only thing that could be more Hamilton than that, if he was, like, born with, like, a neck tattoo and overdue <laughs> custody payments... You know, like, really feeling it. <laughs> like, I got this little Hamilton mullet baby. I'm very proud of him. He's already a dirtbag, and he's not even fun yet. 
Well, you're right. Like Hamilton has that reputation. Oh yeah. And I feel like that's why this is a good city for me to be a comedian in. You yeah. know, to be in a place where uh, the weirdos are. I, I call this, you know, it's like the island of misfit toys. We are literally in Toronto's shadow. Right. You know, like uh, depending where the sun is in the day, it's shadow cast towards Hamilton. And we have so many people that live here that are people that couldn't make it in Toronto. Right. Yeah, that's, that's right? pretty valid, actually. Yeah. Well, myself included. I went right. to the Toronto Film School, and then on my last semester, they decided they weren't going to be accredited anymore. Ooh. So <laughs> I was like, okay, buy $20,000. I'll miss you. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then uh, you know, failure happened very quickly after that point, and I made my way to Hamilton. <laughs> and to join the rest. To join the rest. <laughs> yeah, like I got here, they're like, one of us. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Join the rest of the orcs in Mordor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. I'm an orc. Oh, oh my gosh, so, miserable. So is Hamilton like still pretty blue collar? Then, like, is this obviously you were saying like the steel industry and GM isn't exactly as booming as it once was. Yeah. So GM was Oshawa's steel industry in oh, Hamilton. Um, yeah, but like in the, but both like it's interesting when you see these cities how they have to revitalize because you have cities like uh, like Windsor that's not doing a good job of revitalization, right? Like I think you can buy a house there for a dollar, <laughs> and like <laughs> and then like you know go over the border, Detroit, it's next, and that's like one of the saddest stories there is. I was just gonna say, is Windsor Canada's Detroit or what? Yeah, well, exactly, right? I I often call Hamilton Canada's New Jersey. Ooh, uh, similar similar New Jersey New York kind of comparisons, but with less character and charm and murders. <laughs> but like <laughs> less Italians, uh, probably too. No, Stony Creek, full of Italians. A whole bunch of Italians over there. I, I stand corrected. <laughs> yeah, they uh, and they're like like the stereotypical Italians. Like they just walk everywhere with a lawnmower, like that. Italian. <laughs> <laughs> like really Italian. So <laughs> like it's uh, yeah, like I find in Hamilton. Uh, here's the thing. Like I'm not sure if you ever saw the South Park episode. Well, season. Where the the hipsters come in and gentrify South Park, and South Park was typically blue collar, small Colorado town, right? Right. And then you, they have all these hipsters and entrepreneurs coming in and telling you how to make this place cool and how to make this place like you know like socially savvy and with the times. And there's all these people trying to make it something it was it never used to be. And I feel like Hamilton really falls into that. Because Hamilton has this big boom in the food industry and the drink industry. You know, the bars with the see-through light bulbs and they're all hanging from the ceiling really masterfully. <laughs> and it's made of, you know, you're literally eating on a board of wood and the food is fusion. And of like, course, of course. Right, it's fusion and tapas and you're Instagramming <laughs> and so much that your food goes cold. It's miserable over here. It's hell. <laughs> You can never get a warm meal. <laughs> yeah, I'm too busy angling. Yeah, <laughs> too many filters to pick from. I tell you, I I just stick to sepia because I'm old school. But you know, <laughs> I, I still want that 1920s look. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people here that just look like they lived in the 1920s. <laughs> like, I have, a, I actually know a couple that, uh, this guy, he's a, he's a really great musician, and he's called the Villain, and he has, um, his wife and his friend in their band, and his wife plays the washboard. Wow. Like, classic, like, yeah, there's people that, that, I, I think actually, you know, I'm not gonna totally shit on that movement, because I think that's something I do appreciate about the kind of hipster movement and the how it's bled into art and stuff is that we are revisiting really cool periods of time that did really cool things. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's it's a very much like this simplistic kind of mentality as well. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, here's my issue. Okay. I can't stand the snobbery when it comes to certain areas. Okay? Okay. I... Like. Okay, so here's the thing. I love getting a nice cold beer. And growing up where I grew up, like you just you just grab the I don't know what you want to call it, just the regular name brand stuff, you know, grab a Budweiser, an MGD, whatever it might be. And I'll never forget hanging out with a couple guys who were pretty hipsterish and I brought a case of Budweiser and they're like, Budweiser? And they, like, turned their nose up at it because it wasn't craft beer. Oh, no. And I was like, how dare you? Like, get over yourself <laughs> as if you need to be an expert in the most ridiculous thing. Well, okay. So a couple things on this. Because I, I want to agree with you, but I also am sponsored by a craft beer company. <laughs> if, I were to, if I were to ever shit on a craft beer company, I would get so shit on. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Because, like, I, I know I was going to open up a show and uh, at this new venue, and uh, but they didn't have craft beer. And okay. I was like, well, the sponsor's been following me around. They've been really good to me. They've been really good to comedy audiences. I really feel like you should consider them, even if it's just for the sake of our show. And But, like, I told that to the craft beer company, and the guy was like, they don't support craft beer. We don't support their lives. <laughs> it's just like so like they're Super non-people. <laughs> just so mad. <laughs> like, like he's very protective over like this thing he believes in. Right. And oh, so yeah. like I want to, like, you know, th- like I like to always try to subvert the first reaction. Right. My first reaction is being like, yo, you're being a snob about beer. Yeah, it's kind of lame. Right. Yeah. And then you subvert it and like, oh, you're passionate about something that you care very much about and you care more about that than I care about most things. Who am I to shit on you? You, you know, like, yeah. you know, the, there's a couple sides of this coin. Uh, but going back to like, yeah, you show up with Budweiser or whatever. Yeah. Coming from a blue collar childhood and teenagehood. Oh, yeah. Like, and you too, right? Yeah. Like, you're out, where are you out in? Uh, Alberta way? No, I'm all the way over in BC. BC, So oh. central BC, it's a lot of loggers, it's, you know, miners, but, it's, you know. Okay, it's just, but not Vancouver. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm like, that's where those snobs were born. <laughs> that's exactly it. <laughs> There's a beer snob factory in Vancouver. <laughs> it just yeah. shoots them out, and all they do is talk about how they live and die by craft beer, and the only place you're ever allowed to live is Vancouver. Those are the guys who are eating <laughs> off wood boards and wearing nothing but black rim sunglasses or black rim glasses. They've infected us. They've infected the system. 
They've added twos to the ones and zeros. What's wrong with them? <laughs> I don't That's trust exactly them. It. That's exactly it. But, okay, so that blue-collar upbringing makes you appreciate the whole gathering with people, and it's not really about what you're drinking and eating, and yes, it is, but no, it's always about the people you're with and Darn the experiences right. you're drinking. Uh, you know, and, and I can speak... Uh, like pretty openly on this, like I'm a I'm a recovering alcoholic, right? So three years sober for me, I haven't touched a drop. It's an honest sober, not just something I say on Facebook. Like I'm actually sober. Yeah. And <laughs> for a while there, I just pretend to be sober, <laughs> but I'm like actually sober now. <laughs> and it's like it's one of those things though. When I did drink, the the if I was to drink beer, because that's the thing. At the end, I was only drinking whiskey. You know, I was just like, oh, yeah. And I'm a big guy. I could put back like a 26 or a day before even like going out the door. Oof. Yeah, it was so nasty. And when I get drunk, like that drunk, I just instantly, it's like a magic trick. You watch this fat, you know, late 20s, <laughs> like bearded dude just magically turn into a teenage girl. <laughs> just it's so precious. How I will openly read my diary to everyone in the room and cry in a man's lap so instantly. <laughs> that's that's commitment drunk right there, man. Well, yeah. The last time I was belligerent drunk when I was like, yeah, Cliff, I think you got a problem, was when uh, I was at this bar called Absinthe, which is kind of like, you know. <laughs> that's asking probably for right there. Red flag number one. <laughs> And then, like, the evening after I ruined a comedy show and severed a few relationships, I uh, I made my way upstairs to where this ATM was. And there was a chair, a nice plushy chair right beside this ATM. Oh, boy. And I sat on the chair, and I just started bawling. Just crying, drunk mess crying, right? And I was, like, I started hugging the ATM and slapping it. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You got all the money in your belly. And you won't share it with anyone. I need you to puke your money on me. <laughs> like, I'm like banging this ATM to throw up money. Because, you know, you sometimes want things to change. Yeah. And... <laughs> And, like, so, like, you know, that's a good, a solid reason why you won't see me drinking. But, like, when I was a beer drinker and I was somewhat responsible, the best times with my best friends was cheap beer. Cheap, warm-ass beer that you just, like, it was in the trunk for too long. Oh, but, yeah. hey, we have beer. Welcome you to know? my years of high school right there. <laughs> well, same with mine. That yeah. in the years of high school, too, was, like, find a friend's basement. Yeah. You know, wait till their parents leave and crack open the warm beer. <laughs> Dude, first party I ever went to, me and my buddy Brendan uh, went, and his parents were out of town, and we went and took an 18-pack from his dad's fridge and then went to a party and crushed that whole thing. What a bad night that was. Well, I, I don't know if they still have this brand, but do you remember Lakeport Honey? I do, yeah. Yeah, you remember that was like it was always the cheapest. It was like I think like fifteen bucks for a two four, <laughs> like something oh like gosh. really, really crazy like that. Or is it yeah. Oh my yeah, gosh! Yes. You remember that? I'm it just looking up the 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 can right now. I swear I've seen this stuff before. Yes. Oh yeah, the it, it, like we always said it tasted like dough piss. 
<laughs> like, I don't know why we were so familiar with the taste of dough piss, <laughs> but like, as if that's we a were... common thing to have consumed, eh? For some reason in Oshawa, dough piss has made its way into a lot of my conversations and actions. Let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend that like, like, so uh, I had this friend in high school, okay? He looked like a potato and uh, we called him Spud. And we would go to his house and we'd hang out at Spud's house and we used to play pranks on each other, right? And then, like, my friend was mad at me because I chucked his girlfriend's shoes in the back of a moving truck. And so, like, the truck just drove away with her shoes. Oh, okay. Here, here, I was and thinking, he, what's the big deal? But, yeah, I guess if they, they left with them. Yeah, so he was really mad at me about that. And then, to retaliate, he went and, uh, like, called my mom <laughs> and, like, put porn on the phone. <laughs> yeah like you awesome. said awesome. so he called and said hey clifford has something he wants to say to you and they just played like some like raunchy porn on <laughs> like the phone. you do like one does right <laughs> and my portuguese mother's like clifford why why would you do this to your mother leave the girl alone <laughs> like she's losing it and then i had to get back at this guy because that i felt like that was a bridge too far and of course you gotta one up him. Yeah, so, you know, so classic, yeah. I went to a hunting store, and I bought some doe piss, which you would typically use for bait, yeah. if you're hunting, <laughs> and I boiled it on his stove. Oh my gosh. His entire kitchen smelled like doe piss for two years. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. So then I took, I took it a bridge too far. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, here's the thing about pranks. You never know you've taken them too far until you get there. Yeah, until the dead hooker's in your trunk. You're like, okay, we crossed the line here, you guys. Somewhere, somewhere a line got crossed. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Man. I'm sorry about the shoes. I'm sorry okay? About the shoes. <laughs> oh, my get Dopest. That's, that's awesome, though. I feel like, yeah. you know, that's, that's next level. Oh, yeah, we'd be drinking that dough piss all day long. Lake Poor Honey, man, tastes like dough piss, smells like Spud's Kitchen. <laughs> right? Like... Okay, now we got to back up here real quick. Cause yeah, you... for sure. You you are the the headminster of this conversation. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm Captain Segway, and I apologize for that. <laughs> no, 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 it's all good. Because I, uh, I wasn't going to bring this up unless you'd, you did, which was – um, the fact that you did struggle with like alcoholism and are, are now sober, which is very great to hear, you know. Um, so it's always exciting to hear that, you know, people's success stories with that. But Well, one less drunken asshole isn't a bad thing. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> it. But what what is that like uh, being a I never know, is it is it is the correct term recovering or recovered alcoholic? It really depends on your philosophy. I okay. go recovering. I don't believe I'm ever recovered. But okay. yeah. Okay. Uh, how does that, like, you're obviously cool with having a sponsor that is a beer company. Yeah. Uh, do people ever scratch their head and go, how, like, what's going on there? Or. Well, you know, I think we, we live in pretty polarizing times at the moment. 
socially, politically. And I think one of the skills people have kind of lost is being able to uh, subvert their own opinions and be allies with someone or something they don't agree with. You know, like I like just because I'm an alcoholic doesn't mean I can't work with a beer company. There's a lot of people that drink responsibly that come together with craft beer and a lot of people have jobs because of it and good moments because of it they finish off long days of work because of it uh i'm not gonna knock the good stuff there it just wasn't good for me right right yeah right so i have no problem supporting a company that i believe in and uh cameron's brewing is the sponsor and i do believe in this company because they've been nothing but supportive and helpful for my monk monk shows and uh honestly like They've been really community oriented, and that's along the same lines as me. So they were doing the same thing, just in different ways. So I have no problem allying with them. At the same time, uh, something funny about these Moncala Monk shows, where they're the sponsor, I have a group of recovered alcoholics that come out to the show. Oh, awesome. So there's a quarter of the show that doesn't buy drinks from our sponsor, and that's okay. Right. So that, you know, that's interesting to me. Yeah, that that's actually a really neat dynamic then that you have going on with them. Yeah, like like I think uh, it's just about reaching out, right? Like I we were bridged through a friend, my friend that owns uh, the board game cafe that we do the show in, mm-hmm. and uh, he actually went to the same Bible college where I originally met Ben. Right. And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting how you get these relationships and stuff. I, I in my career uh, and just in my life, I think um, I've taken time to kind of you know accept that I don't know everything and that I can't control everything. So I try to be as open as possible to not shut things out. I feel like if I was one of those alcoholics that was never around beer, that was never open to how it can be a good thing in other people's lives, that I would be unhappy as a sober person and either inevitably relapse or just not be improved as a sober person. Right. Right. You know, so like I think having a better attitude towards alcohol and not necessarily vilifying it is like good for me. Yeah, yeah. No, and that and that's a really cool perspective. I mean, I've I've only ever known one other person who uh, has just come out and said that I'm an alcoholic and, you know, and has really struggled with kind of the I don't know if you want to call it substance abuse or whatever when it when it comes to um, alcohol. But you know, and and I've never really discussed it with them how they feel about it or how they feel if other people around them are drinking. But I know that like for them, they've got a, him and his you know family. From what I understand, have a pretty strong stance of like obviously no no alcohol in the house and just like I I think they just try to stay away from it as much as possible. And yeah. So, there in like you know there are people that just really buy into abstinence right like yeah. being as abstinent as humanly possible and staying away from it um i don't know if i fully agree with that and like and i i have a i have a lot of experience in addiction not just alcohol like i i've abused pills i've abused drugs i'm obese uh, i'm addicted to social media i'm addicted to netflix i'm an addict 
through and through. I mean, my personality is textbook addict. There's nothing original about me in terms in that in those terms. Right, right? now, as an addict, uh, the best thing that's ever been for me has been exposure. So because then you then the ownership is on you. It's on you. you can control yourself to behave yourself. You know, like you can't just blame it. Oh, alcohol was in the house. I couldn't help it, so I drank it. And it's right. just kind of like ah, like at some point you got to own your own shit and yeah. say no. I chose to drink it because I'm a dildo tonight, and I'm gonna go drink this. Like right. th- that's all it is. Like, I, like I, I don't know. I'm all about like having like when I'm dieting, I will leave Coca Cola in the house. I work around alcohol constantly. I'm very much like I think I should be exposed by these things. Right, right. And then I, just working on kind of almost self control and and just being accountable almost to yourself to to know that you're the one who has to make the change in your own life. Yeah, I'll go as inward as humanly possible. The more and more we take ownership for ourselves, the better everything else in life is for it. Like, I fully believe that. I believe if people own their own shit constantly, we wouldn't have a third of the problems we have now. Yeah. Like, I, I just don't believe we would if people owned their own shit. I just yeah. don't believe we'd have those issues. It's true. It's very interesting in society how we get like that, though, right? Like, we... You know, even when I, I can think of so many examples of when I was like a little kid and, you know, me and my brother would be doing whatever. Something would get broken or one of us would end up crying or whatever. And we you always try and pass the blame like it wasn't your fault. Yeah. And, you know, because you're fearful of the consequences of what might happen. And yet that almost seems to just like continue with us in life to a point where like even at work when, you know the boss is pissed off because something went wrong um everyone just kind of goes well it wasn't my fault you know and uh as as if to just constantly pass the buck to someone else yeah and it's interesting how we'll like cleverly use language to paint someone that's like you know opposed to what you believe like i've seen uh You know, I've seen words like opposer and apologist and stuff like that used in our rhetoric now. And I find it really interesting how we use these words like so and so is a blank apologist. Right. And it's and it's just like it's really interesting that you'll go so far to craft a narrative against another person instead of saying what you are and what that person is to you from your perspective. Because the thing is, because then that mudslinging you might get mud on your clean white shirt. You know, like you're there acting pristine. This has always been a thing in human nature where people want to pretend or believe that they're good when they're not. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. We fall short. We just fall short as people. Yeah. And like, I I wish we would have a little bit more grace with each other uh, for that, but we don't. We don't at all. We're we're really full of shit. <laughs> no, it's totally true. It's totally true. Which is going to make this fun transition here. How we're going to jump into some comedy and making people laugh. Oh, fun, <laughs> dude! I because this is really like this is one of the things that fascinates me the most about you, and I have kind of um, followed you on Facebook for several years now. Uh, ever since kind of Ben pointed out what you do we've youtubed 
uh, bits of your stand-up and like there have been several times where Ben and I are like almost in tears laughing in like in our living room in Alberta uh, (laughs) watching your stuff or you know reading some of the stuff that you post in your blogs all that sort of stuff but I want to know where this like stand-up comedy kind of came from like were you a funny kid growing up and and what was it that finally made you kind of go this is this is what i want to do you know it's interesting i've been trying to figure that out for the last eight years and uh okay so i was a funny kid um yeah like i kind of i was a lonely kid i think we should probably start there I was a very, very lonely kid because my parents were divorced when I was one and a half. And so I ping pong back and forth a lot. And because they both had to work to like my mom had to work to provide for me. and My dad had to work to be able to cover the child support. Right. Right. So they were both burning the candle at two ends to support this kid that they were splitting their time over, which ended up being that they didn't really either of them have the time for me at all. And so I spent a lot of time alone and in my imagination, right? And so a lot of my childhood was spent coming up with stories and ideas. And I, my grandfather, who's a huge inspiration to me, one, he's passed away now, but he's the funniest guy in the world. Just the funniest guy I've ever met in my life, my grandfather. And he was really... Uh, what, he was surreal the way he would stretch his comedy and like he was so funny and over the top like one Christmas um, you know I come from a very extremely Catholic family on that side mm-hmm. and my extremely Catholic grandfather showed up with uh, a yarmulke a menorah full Jewish getup and started doing Hanukkah customs at okay. this Catholic Christmas party <laughs> It was like Andy Kaufman-esque level comedy, right? Where he was just so – it was so inappropriate and weird and out there. And that was the guy I was looking up to. And he had a deal with me where when – like if I paid attention during Catholic Mass because I found it to be the most boring thing in the world. If I just sat there and paid attention, on the way home, I would get to tell them a story. So if I shut up and listen to the sermon, they would shut up and listen to me. That's a good deal. Right. Right? So as a kid, I was five years old. I was telling stories after church about cowboys riding horses on the moon and jumping from planet to rocket to satellite into the sun. Like really kind of fun, creative, surreal, imaginative kid stuff, right? And then as I got older, they went into movie ideas. And all this kind of imaginative storytelling part of me was always there. I like to tell stories, come up with stories. So it ended up making me a very good liar. And like it was just a part of my rhetoric. And then because of that loneliness that I spent all that time coming up with great stories, I also spent time not getting attention, which means I wanted attention. So that's where you bring comedy into it because the best way to get attention is to make people laugh. Yeah. And I think the earliest instance of me doing it was me doing Elvis impersonations in the kitchen. (laughs) 
Like I was shaking the hips yep. and going like, thank you, thank you, thank you very much, thank you very much, thank you, yeah, yeah, thank you very much, <laughs> like over and over again, right? Yeah. It was just like a, a kid doing a horrible Elvis impersonation, and uh, like, but it wasn't until grade seven that I really came out of my shell because I was still shy. I was a very shy kid, and then I met my best friend Alex. Um, I remember he was like this, he was a jock, he was good at every sport, and he was the new kid at school, and he was standing at the edge of the field watching people play soccer, and he was kind of looking to jump his way in. He was going to use sports as his way to make friends. Right. And, yeah, which a lot of kids do, right? If you play sports, that's a good way to make friends. And I went up to Alex, and I had a very strange sense of humor, and I went up to him, I said, hey, man. Do you like stuff? And then Alex, whose sense of humor is just right on board with mine, he's like, dude, I love stuff. <laughs> and we're just best friends from that day forward. I'm looking at a picture of the two of us on my wedding day right now. Like, we're just like, we just hit it off from there. And then he was like, Clef, you're one of the funniest guys I know. Like, you got to show other people how funny you are. You know, he's the one that was like, you know, get some confidence. Yeah. Show people who you are. Like, because he thought I was the funniest guy in the world. And, like, if Alex thinks you're funny, then you're funny. That's just the way it is, because he's the funniest guy in the world. So, uh, grade seven, grade eight was me learning how to be funny. Uh, There's this guy in my school. He was the only black guy. His name was Remy. And I had a, I, I was writing these stories in class where Remy was the main character. He was my buddy, and he was really funny because he dressed up like Steve Urkel. And then he hit puberty and dressed up like Michael Jordan. <laughs> so, like, he went from Steven to Stefan, and it was really, like, I got to watch that transition for him, and that was really exciting. And I had this story of his writing called Killer and Spandex, which was <laughs> Remy... Uh, was at a camping trip with all of us friends, and he found old VHS tapes of Richard Simmons' exercise videos. Oh, boy. And then, but the demonic spirit of Richard Simmons took over Remy (laughs) to where the demon spirit grew an afro, put him in exercise wear, and he starts killing all his friends. Oh, dear goodness. (laughs) I know, what a jerk. And, like, he handcuffed me to a treadmill, and I ran to death. <laughs> like, lost so much weight that I was, like, the lead and thinner. I looked like Christian Bale in the machine. Oh. Just done. Oh, okay. That's, like, the grossest image, by the way, people. Look that up. Google it, please. Christian yeah. Bale, the machinist. You will get sick. Oh. Yeah. Or Google Christian Bale, Dick Cheney. You'll also get sick. <laughs> Either way, both ends will make you feel physically ill. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. This this episode episode should be called Christian Bale's Disgusting. (laughs) Christian Bale. We talk about Christian Bale. (laughs) This whole episode's about Christian Bale and how gross he is. Uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> but like you know, th- like I was writing those kind of stories, and I started being creative and funny, and then I got my confidence, and then by the end of high school, I was prom king, and I just learned how to wield confidence and wield humor, and then, uh, you know, and I thought that my path was to be a pastor. That's where I met Ben. Was at Bible college. We notoriously got expelled together. Yeah, yep. that. Yeah, it was one of the most formative experiences of both of our years, you know, like uh, our lives. We really uh, it's interesting how that single experience shaped both of us in opposite directions. Yeah. You know, like we both went two different ways on that, but experienced the exact same thing. So like in that it was that experience like for Ben, he like when we were expelled Ben was, uh, we talked about this on my podcast, but, uh, which is now debunked. So I'm not even going to, uh, promote that (laughs) on here, but like, uh, like we were talking about how when Ben was expelled, his family came and supported him and they were there for him. Everyone gathered and gave him hugs. He left in a wave of support and and parents that were going to guide him towards his next stepping stones. And myself, my mom showed up on the Friday. It was raining. I had to work. I found out I was demoted at my job that night. And because I was going to live at the school in the summer, I was now homeless. And I went to my mom. I'm like, yeah, everything's bad. And she gave me $50 and said, okay, figure it out for yourself. Because that's that's who my mom is. My mom's a survivalist. Uh, She doesn't have too much of a temperament for you know, entertaining tragic times. She's just like, figure it out. So into within two weeks, I found a place to live. I got a second job. You know, I started coming into my own and figuring it out, but it's very much a trial by fire. I didn't have anyone there to support me on my way out. I actually left with all my stuff in a grocery cart. Dude. And this, when, (laughs) when I heard this, by the way, I, cause I was listening to you and Ben talk about this. And then when you're talking about like, you're kind of at this rock bottom moment. And yeah. I was just like, so sad sitting on my couch while I listened to this podcast. Oh, no. I was like, this is the worst thing ever. And yet I, I know how the story ends, obviously like you're doing great now, but yeah. I just thought yeah, yeah. like, I, this is where I, I have nothing but respect for you, Cliff, because I think that if I was in a similar situation, I have no idea how I would have ever climbed out of that, man. But it, oh. it's it's year like honestly, like people think I'm being hyperbolic when I say it's been over a decade of me trying to sift through this. Yeah, but it really it really has been. It's been like the alcoholism, the comedy. The, it, it all comes down to that one day, man. Yeah. It really like one day dictated a lot of my life. So like it's it's hard to explain it sometimes because like I really felt truly ostracized. Yeah. And I felt like I didn't belong. I felt like my reputation my reputation was tarnished and I felt like it was incorrectly tarnished. Like I felt like oh. a villain, like a, I felt like the bad guy, right? Absolutely, yeah. And when you like I the worst part about feeling like the bad guy uh, was I don't know the exact moment, but was whatever moment it was that I believed it. Right, right. That's that's when my problems came. Yeah. Was when I believed that bullshit. 
So like like that's why you you end up drinking. You don't believe in yourself, and you don't believe in your best self. You just uh, like you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna get fat. I'm gonna drink. My life doesn't mean much. People would think I'm better off if I were to just drink myself to death. And you think these really dark thoughts and you go through these really dark times and you have a choice. You have a choice. You either bathe in it and be miserable forever or you tell yourself to get over it and you move on and you be the subversion. And this is what I talk about a lot, about that subversive attitude towards your problems, towards societal issues, whatever it may be, look for the subversion. And that's why like, it sounds cliche to say you want to be a light in dark times, but you have to be, you have no other choice or else you're just going to be in dark times. Right. You know, like yeah. what, what other choice do you have? You either admit defeat or you figure it, you figure it out. And, uh, and that's not an easy process. I don't want anyone listening to this. That's going through their own dark times to be like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to be able to white knight it up and, uh, you know, get the confidence <laughs> right. and get myself out of this. Uh, no, it's going to be horrible and miserable for quite a while. And you're going to have to figure shit out. And uh, but it will come down to owning it. You own your end of it. Don't blame others and move forward. Very simple. Yeah. Like like the the concepts are simple. The process isn't. The concepts are. Yeah, that's 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 actually pretty profound, man. And I think that speaks to a lot of people's lives. Whether you're going through like, you know, a minor thing or you know, major, you know, uh, issues in life and stuff like that, and you. Yeah, it, a lot of it definitely is. Uh, Dude. Yeah. And it yeah. doesn't stop. Like, like, life will always find a way to hurt you. Oh, like, absolutely. I, I, like, I just believe that, you know? Like, I believe that, like, you're going to get hurt in this thing. And for myself, like, I even think, like, right now, like, where I'm at with, like, you know, I have a one-year-old child. I'm a struggling comedian. Uh the future looks very murky at times and I'm surprised that a, I got this far and I've gotten to be blessed enough to have the experiences that I've had that I've got to travel with comedy. I've got to perform for thousands of people do these really amazing, cool things. And it's like really cool that I've gotten to do that this far, but it's also amazing that I'm not as fearful as I used to be about the future that as murky as things are, I just understand I've survived worse. Right, right. You know, so I'm like, well, this isn't as bad as things have been, so it's bad, but we're okay, so we'll go forward. Like, actually, <laughs> funny we're talking about this. Today, I checked my bank account, and it was negative $34. Right. And it was just because uh, a payment didn't go through properly. I got screwed on a club payment. And I was like, and that's very common in the comedy world. You're sometimes going to get screwed on payments. Yeah. And uh, that's why, like, I, I actually just wrote this on my Facebook today because I'm watching that show, uh, I'm Dying Up Here. Oh, it's you, so good. Okay, you think it's good, right? Dude, I watched it all every week when it was coming out. And really? And I loved it. Okay, so I'm on like episode three. Don't ruin anything. Oh no, for I me. won't say nothing. Won't say nothing. But I, I'm I'm really torn on the show because they're romanticizing a lot of things that I've gone through. Right. And they're romanticizing it for the sake of TV drama, and I'm a little nervous about that because <laughs> it's like ah, oh, you're kind of 
taking away things I've legitimately suffered through, and I don't like <laughs> that you're making it a badge of honor almost. Right, right. Y- you know, because I don't see it as a badge of honor. I don't see a negative bank account and eating nothing but rice aroni for a year as a badge of honor. Well, you know, that's the like, thing, though, too, com- right? In those comics, there's two comedians in the show living in a closet, yeah. and I legitimately lived in a closet. <laughs> well, see, but that's like <laughs> that's part of Hollywood, right there. You have to like build it up as you you got to get like right down to the nitty gritty to really see your dreams come true. Almost, you know, that's that's <laughs> you totally know. A, like. I mean, even take for instance, um, you know, a, a movie like Rocky, right? Like. I'm sure there's a lot of boxers who probably would say the same thing, right? Like, they've been at the bottom and everything, and then you see this guy who just, like, he used to beat people up for money for kind of loud at the beginning of the first movie. And then yeah. by Rocky Three, he's living in, like, a mansion, and he's got that stupid robot, and he's driving, like, Ferraris. And it's like, you know, it's the dream of every boxer is to get to that point, but you got to go through that, like, nitty-gritty garbage at the beginning to get there, you know? And so, yeah, it's like it's like the Tony Robbins motivational speaker thing where he's like, "Brother, you can't do a lot in one year, but imagine what you can do in thirty years. You're gonna look at yourself and say, "Holy fuck, I'm a motivational speaker." <laughs> that, well, that's exactly it, right? But yeah, for you, a guy like yourself who's actually had to go through this misery, um, whereas I never have. It was just it was a TV show to me, right? But it, yeah. it probably speaks to a far deeper level to a guy who's like, hey, man, I actually had to do this. Don't make this sound like this was a fun experience for these guys to live in a closet and, you know. Well, see, here's the thing. It's OK. So th- this is going to be going kind of deep into inside baseball and comedy for a sec. Yep. But like, OK, so the show is about stand-up comedy in the 70s. Now, I live in the hindsight era where I've seen how all this story plays out. Right. I've seen those characters that are young in that show. I now watch those same characters old and weathered and doing, uh, you know, a charity show at a karaoke bar on a Sunday night for $15. Right. You know, I've seen the fall from graces. I've seen the people that hit it big and lose their friends. Like, like I've come in the aftermath where I never got to live in that era where Johnny calls you over to the couch, where you go to the like you go to the comedy store. In that show, they have Goldie. In real life, it's Mitzi. Right. And like, you know. I never had to go to Mitzi to get my spot on a five minute, you know, five minutes on a late night to maybe get called over to the couch. Like there was that streamline doesn't exist anymore because there's not there's not kingmakers anymore. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. like the, the people that were big, like the, you know, like Yuck Yucks was started by Mark Breslin and he helped make a lot of careers. But that power just doesn't exist anymore because of how saturated the comedy market is and that anyone can do it and everyone is. Absolutely. See, and this is what I actually wanted to dive into a bit as well, because I'm fascinated by the world of comedy and a lot of the podcasts I listen to are comedians. Um, and a lot of it branched off of listening to Joe Rogan and then all of his yeah. buddies that come on to his show. So you got guys like Tom Segura, Burt Kreischer, Ari Shafir, um, even uh, – is it Andrew Don- Santino? 
I'm not sure him. I, I was going to say uh, I really enjoyed Duncan Trussell. Duncan Trussell, yeah. yeah. Like, like there's all these guys and, you know, I've, I've listened to them banter a little bit about the state of comedy and a lot of them would say, you know, this is the golden age of stand-up based off of, you know, the, their experiences working like the L.A. and New York scenes where, you know, clubs are packed out. People are, you know, going to a night at the store on like it's part of their vacation now is let's go and take in a, a a night at the comedy store where you know guys like joe will say well you know back in the early 2000s that just wasn't a thing and uh and so it's it's interesting to see them talk about how it's risen and like obviously the saturation of all the stand-up specials on netflix that anyone yeah. can watch and I absolutely love everything. I I probably watch at least one or two stand-up specials a week. And uh, it's it's awesome. I love it. But, you know, they've also talked about the downside of that is that there's a lot of people out there who just see it and they go, oh, I can do that. And they just assume that because their friends tell them they're funny and they can sign up for, you know, comedy gigs and stuff that – you know, there's there is that kind of old man mentality of you haven't been through the trenches that we've had to go through, and you know it it should be a long and and hard road just like it was for us almost. Well, that that was the whole Bo Burnham rejection, right? Like they didn't like that he didn't pay his dues the way they had to. Yeah, because he went up through the internet, right? right That's how right. he boomed. But like you know that I don't think that would give you permission to exclude that person's experience because Bo Burnham is one of the most interesting stand-up comedians out there. I, I think his work is far beyond most comedians' work. Well, just we, we also live yeah. in a completely different day and age where the internet is kind of king now. Like, that's the way to expose yourself to the world is... You know, Unless they get rid of net neutrality, then we can go back to slugging it out because yeah. no one can afford the internet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like you know, it, it's and like, but here you are. You're commenting on American comedian experiences, right? Right. I'm a Canadian. I don't even know any of that because our comedy climate's completely different here. We don't have a bunch of chains. We have one chain that owns ninety percent of the market. Right. 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 And that in that chain has 17 clubs and a roster of 350 plus comedians. How mathematically they can't work everyone. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you're left to if you're someone like me that's an outlier that doesn't want to fit into a corporation and kiss butt for gigs, then you're left to being independent. That's why you find me performing in board game cafes and delis and hippie festivals. Like I, because I go to anywhere that will have me. Right. And you in like now I think I'm part of a new comedy age where like it's very experiential at this point. And it's uh I don't know. I, I think it's good for my spirit. Like yeah. I like these new experiences. I don't know what I'm in for. I I also have this attraction to business that I would love to be more of a businessman. I would love to have my own independent club. Like I think that'd be my dream. Because mm -hmm. uh, then I don't have to tour and I don't have to be seeing my kid through a computer screen. Yeah, and yeah. you know that'd be really important for me. That'd be a value. So like, I think the Canadian comedy experience is way different. Norm Macdonald was reminiscing on Twitter the other day of all the Canadian comics he came up with, and I know a lot of them. Mm -hmm. 
he was talking about Donnie Coy, Johnny Guardhouse. Like he's talking about all these comedians, and it was so cool him talking about these people that I know the end of their story, or at least you know up to this point where like Norm doesn't even know what's gone on with them because he went off to get his success. Same with Jim Carrey, Howie Mandel, and all those guys. Yeah, and and it, like when Norm Macdonald was reminiscing, he said. There was a moment when he was coming up that only 50 people may understand how cool and how awesome it was to be a Canadian comic at that time. And I fully believe that because that's when there was like not even 50 comedians and Yuck Yucks was just starting to boom as a, a major co- comedy chain and JFL wasn't even the thing yet. Right. Right. You know, like, and like, so, like, they were literally there for the birth of an industry. Yeah. And yeah. which is amazing. But now, like, it's kind of like, I always think about what would, what would it be like if Kurt Cobain didn't kill himself? Like, would I see him doing a guest spot in America's Got Talent one day? Right. You, right. you know what I mean? Like, how would Kurt Cobain sell out? How would Kurt Cobain lose his edge? And, like, so everything that was, like, really crazy and awesome and, like, all the stories you heard about Yucks in the early days, like, Breslin, like, having a bunch of transsexuals over for birthday parties and all those urban legends you hear, Mm -hmm. like, all that stuff, like, that had its edge and stuff. Now you look at it and you're just like, yeah, you're 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 banquet hall with chicken wings and people are on their phones and bachelorette parties are too loud. Right. It's just it's not the same thing. It feels like yeah, we're kind of like a we're a motel now. Yeah, it, it's kind of lost the magic of what what really started it. Yeah, like I feel like it did. I I feel like it, there's a. I, yeah, with that oversaturation I, and people just getting older and times changing, things feel a little stale. They feel a little like sometimes you're in a club and you're just like, yeah, this doesn't – the sparks aren't here. Right. You know, like where I've done shows in bizarre places where it's just like a, like a Polish hall basement. It's like, oh, my gosh, comedy's alive today. Comedy is present here. This feels right here. Yeah, yeah. Well, and yeah. that's the thing, right, is – it's getting that authenticity back into it and and just like yeah kind of feeling that i guess I, as silly as it sounds like these are all these like really fluffy words but like just that raw magic of of the craft itself you know yeah well and i know so authenticity is a double-edged sword too because as much as i think in a, a comedy you want to be as honest as humanly possible and you want to open up your veins to the audience right yeah like I think that's really important, but at the same time, now we live we live in the age of the social, right? And I took that directly out of a Lady Gaga song. <laughs> We're the age of the social. So good. But anyways, <laughs> so we're in the age of the social, which is a weird connected disconnect, right? And that connected disconnect has us looking at each other through peepholes. And we're voyeuristic, and we are giving each other these little dopamine hits of reactions on Facebook, of likes and sad reacts and love reacts. Right. And these little hits of dopamine, and I know addiction, right? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, keep giving it to me, keep giving it to me, I want it. And like that's what it is, they're buzzing you, and they're buzzing you, and they're buzzing you. And now... We live in the age where people understand the power of authenticity, but now we abuse it. 
we abuse it by faux vulnerability, right? You ever see someone, it's like a Tuesday, and for no reason they're just talking about their mental health issues publicly? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And then and then what are the comments? You're so brave, courageous, good for you, a bunch of likes, loves. You spend all day with your phone dinging, being like, oh, I am loved. I am real while yeah. you're in a room alone doing nothing. Yeah. You know what? And the funny part is, is as much as I love social media, it's stuff like that that has actually really turned me away from ever – like that that has really like turned me off from it and so i find myself even having a podcast and wanting to communicate with our fans as much as possible i notice how often i have no interest in actually being on these social media sites anymore because of everyone who airs their dirty laundry and makes themselves i think they try to project this idea that they're kind of worthless even though I'm sure deep down they know that they're not. Yeah. And yeah. You're, you're right. It is to get that little dopamine rush of everyone encouraging them and making them feel good. And maybe in the moment when they wrote it down that they, they did feel bad or whatever. But it doesn't mean you need to abuse it and constantly you know, kick yourself. Well, you don't necessarily have to broadcast it, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And, and this is what I'm talking about. This actually goes right back to the beginning of our conversation about owning it yourself and not finding a, a clever way to not own it. And, like, because, like, that's the raw stuff that doesn't feel good if you just sit with it. If you if you tell it to the world and you get a bunch of love for it, well, it's really not going to solve the problem of your mental health issues and your depression or whatever it is you're experiencing. I do think putting things into creative writing or art or something that's just like living and breathing to be really healthy and interesting. But at the same time, if you're not owning it, right, like then you're just like, yeah, you're throwing it out there and you're part of the saturation problem because now you're not saturating comedy. You're saturating vulnerability. And if you saturate vulnerability, you make people question authenticity. If people can't trust authenticity, we don't know what's real. And that's the postmodernism that we're living in. It's fucked up. Yeah, ain't that the truth? <laughs> you know? Man, Yo, what man a, that, that's why I'm scared of social media, man. Like, I think social media is a branding tool. I think it's a... Anytime you're asked for your name, your age, your likes, your dislikes, you're summarizing yourself into a profile. And... You know, you if we use social media, we should at the very least understand we are projecting a brand of who we are. Yeah. We are, we are projecting a summarization. At no point does that summarization define who we are as nuanced, complex individuals. Like, don't let social media take away your power. That's insane. We have to stop doing that. And I think some people, you ever see a post on Facebook where you're like, oh my gosh, they were helpless to the powers of social media. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, like I saw someone the other day that said, dear insomnia. And they wrote an open letter to not being able to fall asleep. And I was just like, You've, you bit the apple. Yeah. <laughs> like, you took the Kool-Aid. Like, what are you doing? Why are you talking to your ailments in a public open letter? You don't see me out there like, dear obesity, why? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not doing that. But you know what? Guess what? I did do that stuff. I As if to... obesity snuck up and just... 
crept into our lives as if we had nothing to do with it. Yeah, but you know, like I used to be that guy. I used to be the one that was like on social media being like, because I've been very public about my alcoholism and this and that, but I even saw when I was going into deep. And then I was like, oh, I've shared too much. I've compromised too much of my identity and my privacy. This is scary. I believe a lot of old writers warned us about this. We should dial it back. Oh, dude, one of my favorite things that makes me laugh but also makes me angry at myself is these uh, Facebook memories that come up. Oh, no. That pop up and it's like, oh, you know, look back at your memories for today or whatever from, you know, the last 10 years. And I just kill myself laughing at how stupid and immature I was at, like, the age of 18 and 19 years old where I would write these super vague like what was me kind of statuses when it was like <laughs> way before it was now clickbait where I probably wasn't really concerned about likes and comments. I just wanted people to see it. Well, yeah, that was before we became uh, almost coded to become human clickbait <laughs> and to become self-advertisements, right? Well, like... And I just look at it and I just shake my head. I'm like, what the hell was wrong with me? <laughs> like I try to remember what I was thinking, but then at the same time, I'm almost happy I don't remember. See, and I would look, and it's kind of embarrassing when you look back at that, oh, and absolutely. then, and then when you accept it and own it, it's like human. Yeah, like I think there's something really wonderful about acknowledging our embarrassments. Oh, you know absolutely. what I mean? Like, um, I just did the same thing. I was actually deleting a bunch of my old profile pictures. Oh, okay, I had like 600. And I was like, why do I keep the record of this? I don't think I want to know all this. Right. And I, I was like, you know, I'm going to start, I'm just going to get rid of it. I don't care. Because yeah. I'm, I'm like, I understand that Facebook is a brand tool. And so I'm just going to shape it the way I prefer for my purposes as a tool. Yeah. Right? Like, so I, I'm going through all these old profile pictures. Oh, this was miserable. I was looking at some of these pictures that I put up. I'm like, what am I thinking as a person, as a human being? I had a picture of me topless on the toilet wearing a monkey mask. And then it just I, – I photoshopped words over it that said human garbage. Oh, my God. Like, I was going through something very serious <laughs> at that moment. There's no reason. You can see a bottle of Crown Royal just sitting in the... <laughs> like, there's This is no a cry reason. for help more than it is anything else? Oh, 30% of my profile pictures are cries for help. There's no reason why people should have just liked... Why did people like those pictures? They're bad. They're bad people. <laughs> oh, my God. Someone probably should have like, just called after they saw some of those. I should have uploaded my dead body in a gutter, and people would have been like, he's so brave. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> There's Cliff again. <laughs> yeah. Like, first of all, most of them were topless. So many nipples on Facebook. So many nipples. <laughs> so many nipples. And then it's like, like, I just, like, I look at my embarrassing decisions and I'm just like, well, I got to accept that's who I was. And that's still a little bit a part of me. <laughs> oh, well, still a little bit there. Sometimes I will be sad. And I actually have a thing now where I'll write a, an incredibly sad sh thing. And then I'll erase it to remind myself that I'm in control of my own life. Yeah. Yeah. Ain't that the <laughs> truth, eh? 
See, and that's something that I've actually been working on too, is like having a positive mindset in, uh, in life. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's surrounding myself with positive people and also like slowly cutting away the negative people in my life. Yeah, and I, I really feel like this is a, a process into our, you know, more formative adult years where we really understand there's not a there is not a functional use for toxic people. Yeah, yeah, ain't that the yeah. truth, man? And I never noticed that I was. I mean, I knew that I was a pretty pessimistic person in life, but it never like really hit me in the side of the face until actually, of all people, Ben. Uh, straight up just like one day said to me when we were working together um, he's like dude he's like you guys are so negative in the office he's like I came I came back to the office and I just wanted to leave so badly I couldn't wait till I got back on the road again I <laughs> could I was, see how I could actually picture him saying that exact speech oh yeah <laughs> and I it had never really dawned on me before that I was like that mm-hmm. and you know, it was after that that I started spending more time with him and other people in our kind of circle of friends and stuff that I I realized I needed to have more of a positive outlook on life. And it opened my eyes to those that were negative influences on me and just kind of complained about their lives. Yeah. And I've since, like, very much, like, steered away from spending a lot of time with them or even engaging in conversation with them if I know it's going to go down that way. I, I struggled with that a lot because I had a lot to complain about. Right. You know? And so it, it wasn't until I really took ownership that it was, you know, I started shifting my mindset. Yeah. Like, it's the only, it, it, like, you had that moment. You had that moment where you're like, holy crap, I am negative. I got to own that part of me. And I have to make actions to, like, you know, not be that guy. And, yeah, you go around more inspirational people, people that, like, bring something good out of you. Yeah. I call it I call it nutritional value. You know, I give you nutrients, you give me nutrients. That's a good relationship. That's mm. osmosis. Yeah. You know? Like, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, anything outside of that, I have a hard time thinking, like, I just, what? where is the value? Yeah. You know, like, I don't see the value in keeping negative people. Actually, I, like, I got a story to share if you got the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Good, because we're, uh, we got three more hours, folks. So here we go. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is honestly me on podcast. I'm such a gab fest. Like, oh, it's just, all like, good. This is what I love, man. This is exactly what I love doing. Yeah, same here. It, like, it really, the, like, even like the oversaturation of podcasts, I'll never not like doing this. This oh. is so enjoyable. It's kind of like, even like because it's coffee house conversation just being recorded dude right it's two guys listening and talking to each other and obviously because you're the host and i'm the subject there's a little bit more of an imbalance than there would be in a coffee house conversation right but like i do really enjoy that we're able to just sit here and do this i find every time i'm a part of a podcast like this it's it's unique moment right like it's uh, whatever my parents always told me growing up that my gift in life was not knowing how to shut up and (laughs) you know like i just i love to talk i love to talk about anything and everything um and i sometimes just absolutely love arguing with people my dad is my favorite person to argue with like in a in a loving way like i don't have you know issues with my father or anything but uh 
And then as soon as I started doing this podcast, I realized like, where was this my entire life? Because I'm yeah. pretty sure I was born to do this. Just my personality and everything. Yeah, it works so well, right? It's interesting that you're you're confrontational because uh, I'm actually very confrontational too, and I love arguing as well. Well, see, like, and, and as long yeah. as it's something that I know something about, I will argue it. Oh, it, see, I'm, yeah, I'm the opposite. If I, can, I am completely absent-minded about a subject, I am not diving into that. Oh, I love arguing about things that I know nothing about because, <laughs> like, okay, first and foremost, I will never argue online. I don't argue online. That's dumb as shit. I don't. <laughs> you do. don't want to be a Twitter troll? <laughs> uh, no, like it just—it's—it's it's so stupid. I've—I've I've seen like people. I got unfriended the other day because I shared a satirical Halloween costume post, <laughs> and uh, this girl unfriended me because I wasn't, you know, sensitive to racial insensitivities. And before we could even talk about it, she iced me, and I was like, "Wow." <laughs> I don't have time for this. Like, I literally yeah. don't even remember her name. And so, like, I just move forward. But, like, in real life, yeah, I will argue about anything. Like, if we're sitting here, like, I love taking Devil's Advocates, my favorite thing. But that's because I'm obsessed with reality TV shows. Like, Big <laughs> Brother and Survivor and social psychology is incredibly interesting to me. So where one person sees a conversation or a debate, I see a game. Right, so oh, they're absolutely. like, they're like, I, they like, oh, I have all the knowledge. I can win this part of the debate. I'm gonna win this, and I'm like, I'm gonna shape you to look a certain way so you're discredited. And even if you're right, no one's gonna trust you. <laughs> That's so maniacal, Cliff. <laughs> I know. Get expelled at the age of 19 and see how you turn out. <laughs> this one day has shaped so much. Oh yeah, like it literally is my origin story. <laughs> it's, oh. And I, I still don't know if I'm the Joker or Batman. Yeah. I have no idea which one I'm going to be. <laughs> I don't know. I have this incredible capacity to be understanding and you know be there for people, and I can be a hero. But there is a part of me that has much more fun being the villain. Yeah. You know, like it's a like I. I, like I play these online versions of Survivor and Big Brother, yeah, and these were emotional experiences for me, and I, I I had to stop because the last game I was so cutthroat that it was like, whoa, Cliff, you are losing value for other human beings, <laughs> like you are just seeing humans as pieces on a board. You got to go back to seeing them as you know beating hearts. So, like, I was like, okay, I got to dial it back. And I, I actually didn't even apply to for Big Brother this year because I was like, you know what? I don't think I want to walk over human beings for $100,000. Right. I'll do it for a million. I made it sound like I was a good person for a second. Like, no, I just have a higher dollar amount. But <laughs> no, like, like, as much as I feel like I would love to play the game, so I could put my money where my mouth is and see if I could win. Yeah. The other part of me is like, ah, Cliff, just go be a good human. <laughs> <laughs> like, just stop, stop this. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm with you, man. Those shows fascinate me. Oh it, well, it's human psychology in a bottle. You know, you have them trapped in this very, you know, intense situation that's going to bring out their most human qualities. And that's where, like, I, I I've been like. 
in my old workplace and in my life, I like I'll use social strategies to get what I want. And it was weird how easy it was becoming. You know what I mean? Like yeah. to be manipulative. And the best part of being manipulative was everyone knew I was manipulative. Wow. Like everyone everyone I worked with was like, yeah, Cliff is mind like fucking us right now. And then they're like, yeah, but it kind of makes sense. Okay, let's go with them. <laughs> like, Dude, and that's then I, deep. Oh, yeah. Like, and, but now I think I'm on the other side of it where I'm trying to I, – I, I, there was a lot of negatives in that. And again, this is just me trying to understand am I the hero or am I the villain? And I understand now it's a choice. Right. Where I think before I thought, no, I was made by fire. I was born to be the villain. I should fully embrace it. Right. Where now I'm like, no, I think I should do everything in my power to reject it. And I think it'll make me that much more of a hero. Right? The villain that chooses not to do bad. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I know. I like dude. that. Just a reminder, I'm still in my underwear. <laughs> <laughs> but to go into... Uh, I was, uh, what were we talking about right before this? Because, uh, okay, I got a story I want to share, but I can't remember why I was sharing it. <laughs> Frick. No, we're building a tree, it. but I'm off on so many branches. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay. Cause, so we're, we're talking about this whole being a villain thing, and then what were we talking about right before that, Maddie B? Uh, I'm trying to think now. How the heck did you're we not, get here, Cliff? You're not keeping notes? Definitely not. Definitely not. But, ah, uh, dang it. This is going to be funny while people are going, what the heck? How did we get here? <laughs> yeah, because every, everyone else is like rewinding their podcast right now. <laughs> How did they get here? Cliff said he was going to tell us a story 10 minutes ago. Oh, yeah, <laughs> we were talking about the or, or podcasting all together. How we were in a coffee shop or coffee shop conversation. Yeah. And right Keep before Keep going. That, <laughs> oh, I'm so close. Darn it. I'm telling you, this is the Alzheimer's kicking in. Yeah, because I know I had I had a point of telling the story, but I and I know which story I was going to tell, but I don't know the point that I was going to make with. <laughs> so I'm like, wait, where was it going to go with that? Uh, I don't know, Cliff. I don't know what we were going to talk about. Okay, so I'm going to tell the story, okay. and then we're okay. going to figure out later Deal. if it made any sense connected to the point. Okay. <laughs> you got it. You got it. I'm cool with that. Okay, so the whole story is like the <laughs> – and I don't know – I can't tell you why I'm telling you, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like – so the, the, the birth of my son was last year, and that was a really like – that was a trial by fire situation for me because uh oh 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 oh, oh. negative people toxic yes, people yes, yes got yes. it boom bra, bra, bra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah got it learning how to deal with toxic people and then going off on your own and detoxifying and being around influential people right now my point being is sometimes you still have to live with toxic people and here is my relatable story. <laughs> wow, I can't believe I just connected those dots. Oh, so out of breath. So, um, last year, my son was born, and I, my my wife's family is charismatically Pentecostal. 
Okay. And and uh, I I have to mention that as a footnote because sometimes they live more according to their emotions than rationality, and that makes life difficult. Okay. Right. Yep. So. For example, years ago, I showed them a video of me making a pterodactyl noise. Yeah. Right? That's a Cliff- Clifford Meyer staple. Yep. I do that on stage all the time. <laughs> like, I do it much louder. I'm not going to kill your podcast listeners' <laughs> ears. But, like, the pterodactyl noise is a part of who I am. And, uh, and my mother-in-law at the time literally called me the Antichrist and kicked me out of her house. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And- so I just got to give you a little bit of groundwork here of what we're dealing with, right? Okay. So the birth of my son comes along, and we kind of hit crisis mode because my wife's not dilating past, um, you know, past six uh, centimeters or millimeters. What is it? Millimeters or centimeters? Se- definitely centimeters. centimeters. Is it centimeters? Yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah, millimeters. That's not great at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So she's not dilating past six centimeters, and uh, like, and my son's heartbeat's going dangerously low, and this is bad because now, like, my wife and my son, their health is on the line. This is a very stressful situation, and my my mother in law and my sister in law were there, and they lost their shit, just couldn't rationally like yo we need to like undergo a crisis right now they went full-blown crazy that day and uh they started screaming and swearing and threatening it was like really insane they're running up and down the hall they're making phone calls to their christian friends to pray they're trying to get a pastor to come in they call a christian radio to pray for their dying daughter like it was like insane right wow. and Really, like, high emotions, high intense. And you got to remember, they believed that this was happening, right? They believed that their their daughter and their sister, their grandson, their nephew w- could possibly die right now. And this was making them insane. And I was just, like, really, like, oh, my gosh, I cannot handle this. I'm not doing very good. I'm, like, we need to get the C-section and go. And they were, like, trying to object to this. They said, no, you can't have a C-section because you have to wait for Jesus to perform a miracle. (laughs) And I was, like, uh, I'm, like, looking at the doctor uh the surgeon you know dr miracle i'm like that is a miracle holding her miracle scalpel how about you let her do her miracle job you know like modern medicine is absolutely a miracle let's 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 bask in it and like make sure my wife and baby are okay yeah so obviously a situation like this is really going to put a wedge between relationships yeah. This is very toxic. This is very extreme. A lot of boundaries being crossed. We got to we're going to have to deal with these issues at some point. I, and at the moment, I was so stressed out. I was only focusing on Lindsay and Henry, and I go to my mom, and I got to you have to understand my mother is way I told you she's a survivalist, mm-hmm. but she is the world's most ultimate big brother player. Okay? Okay. No one mind fucks like my mother. If I was playing Big Brother with her, I would lose. Okay? Right. You have to understand, she is a master 
at what she does. There's no one more manipulative than my mother. And I go to, and I go to my mom, and then she was there at the hospital. With my stepdad and my brother and said, I don't care how you do it. You just got to get them out of here. Do whatever you got to do. Get them out of here. I need to focus on Lindsay. My mom just looks at me with her cold, steely Portuguese eyes. And she's just like on it. And <laughs> And I don't know what she's about to do. I'm pretty sure she's about to be like wanted for murder, but whatever. And then I don't see uh, Lindsay's mom or Lindsay's sister for the rest of the time. My mom did it. I'm like, oh my gosh, well, how does she do this, right? And we go through the whole surgery. Henry comes out fine. My wife's drugged up. And like, you know, we're holding our baby. We're so friggin' happy. We never knew that we could even have a baby. So this is such a moment of joy. And the family comes in, and we all put our guns down for a oh. moment to celebrate this new life, Henry, right? Yeah, yeah. And we're we're all celebrating, and we're forgetting the fact that they just were batshit crazy in the hospital, almost called security on their ass. <laughs> so I go to my I go to my little brother as everyone's hugging and kissing and ooing over the baby yep. and asking about his weight and all that. And I go to Jeff. I'm like, all right. How does she do it? I gotta know. How how does she keep them out? Right? And my brother says, you're not gonna believe me, but here's the story, and it's absolutely true. I said, okay. He says, mom walked into the, the waiting room where my stepdad, my brother, my, Lindsay's dad, Lindsay's sister, Lindsay's mom, and a bunch of strangers were in there. Yeah. And my, my mom just, like pulled out like her best just like serious marilyn monroe performance and uh she just turned to them she's like oh my god your daughter might die (laughs) the baby inside of her may die (gasps) we must pray we must pray harder than we've ever prayed before. And then my mom gets everyone, like my my stepdad, my brother, her dad, her mom, her sister, in a prayer circle <laughs> on their knees in the waiting room and literally held them hostage in prayer. Wow. Well played. In case you want to know what a mother's love looks like, <laughs> there it is. That's, that's it right there. That's a mother's love. And now I've had to go forward with these people in my life, right? Right. How do you do that? Because you you were able to rid of some of the toxifying people in your life. Yeah, those right? ones not so easy to get rid of for you. They I I can't get rid of them, right? So my answer, like I had to, we had to set some boundaries. We had to have some hard conversations. Yeah, that was just inevitable, right? But my answer will always come back to. I'm going to show as much love and light in my own life and I'm going to project it as hard as humanly possible and they're going to get drowned out by this. So I'm actually not just killing them with kindness. I'm slaughtering them with compassion. Just like I'm really pouring it on them because they have to be in my life still. They have to be in my son's life. They're his family. They're my family. So it is a constant effort and you don't you'll never trust again. You'll never trust them. So you won't give them the freedom that they had before. Right? We don't visit as often. Yeah. It's not as, you know, just drop in and say hello. There are some boundaries. 
and that's responsible to set boundaries. But like I found being like like by not being toxic myself and not contributing to this what could very well be an ongoing war with them um it's actually made them kinder and softer and more understanding because they're feeling the weight of forgiveness and it only happened once they understood the weight of their actions right yeah yeah so yeah that ties into what we were saying so absolutely absolutely (laughs) no and you're right because i think that is a solution for people who are uh, a negative influence in your life is to genuinely just kill them with kindness and kill them with that positivity and that that mentality that's the only way because they're going to do one of two things they're either going to you know start to change their view and go hmm why is a guy like cliff so happy all the time and they're going to talk to you about it or they're going to stop hanging out with you and you're not going to have to have that hard conversation yeah, because they're going to dig their own grave. Yeah. It's not even like, why is Cliff happy all the time? Because he's not. It's like, why is Cliff grounded? Right. Why is he real? Why is he confident? Like, these things are more the pillars of my life than happiness. Happiness really isn't a bearing. Um, happiness comes and goes. Yeah. And, and I think any of your listeners that live with depression understand that complicated relationship with happiness. Because as much as they want to hold on to it, it leaves so easily. And uh, and I do think a lot of your listeners have depression because I think depressions become mass across our society, right? Yeah. Um, it's really interesting to me. Like, like th- this is what a human relationship looks like. And like, I, I, I again, it comes to you got to own that part of yourself. Like, you have to make the decision to live that way. You could easily make it all about them. Oh, they ruined the day of my child's birth. They did this and that. They said this and that. Blah, blah, blah. I could constantly make things about them. But if I make it about me, then I, I can control me and I can, you know, own me. Like, th- that's okay. Well, and that's part of it, too, is living within the things that you can actually control. Like, my brother is a great example of someone who lives very much that way. Um you know, he lives up in Fort McMurray uh, with his wife, and uh, they just experienced a pretty severe forest fires last summer. Oh, wow, yes. And, I read about that. Yeah, and so they all got evacuated. Now, my sister-in-law actually grew up in Fort McMurray, so it's it's very much home for her. Uh, and my brother, I mean, he's been living up there for, I don't know exactly how many years now, but it's got to be around six or seven and uh, and so when they were getting evacuated, my sister-in-law, she was pretty upset, obviously, because, I mean, it's it's her whole life up there. And, you know, you can only take so much out of your house and, you you know, you, you always wish that you can take more and, um, you know, the fear of your home burning down, that sort of thing. Uh, your life is basically on stand, like on, on standstill for, for however long and you don't know when you get to go back and you don't know if it's going to look the same. Like there's a lot that goes through your mind. Um, and so I wouldn't say she got like hysterical, but she was definitely upset. And my brother is a very quiet guy. He does not show a lot of emotion outside of, you know, laughter and, and, you know, the more positive emotions, let's put it that way. Uh, but when they, when they got evacuated, you know, his mentality was always the whole time. Like I can only, I can't control this. Like I can't, 
spend my time thinking about something that isn't in my control. Yeah, you can't control a forest fire. Well, exactly. And, <laughs> and you know, as as moronic as I sometimes think my brother is, like he also has these little bits where he's incredibly wise and smart and, you know, very grounded in himself and understanding that exact same thing, you know. I am in control of my own actions. There is nothing that I can do about a fire uh, that is running rampant based on how the wind moves, basically. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I get like honestly, I feel like the day of my son's birth felt like a wildfire, man. Yeah, like it's like you get so disoriented and scared and angry and yeah, it's really hard. It's it's so weird too that the birth of my son marks a, such a extreme weird occasion in my life, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, and to bring this back to Christianity, now you're a Christian? Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, like I know that's a loaded question, yeah. but like uh, I I understand people have a difficult time identifying with that, but you gotta understand for me, that word is one of the most difficult words I've ever wrestled with my entire life. Because, like, you know, it, again, going back to the expulsion, it started a very strange relationship with that word. Yeah. And I kept feeling in my life that people were hurting me in the name of Jesus. Right. I felt like the people that hurt me the most did it in the name of Jesus. And I, like, I actually broke down the day of my son's birth and I screamed at everyone and I said, like, what the like what the fuck is with you people you fucking christians you take the cross you turn it upside down until it's a fucking sword and you just slash me with it and slash me with it and you constantly use jesus as a weapon right. why are you here why do you exist and it's been this weird really like hard relationship i've had with that word and like the we this idea of weaponized christianity yeah you know, like, that's been something I've been really wrestling with, where, like, in owning myself, I've been trying to find that faith I originally had. And I don't know if that faith was naive and adolescent or if it just wasn't real. And the faith I'm coming to now really is real because I've been through the trials and I understand more of what this is. I don't yeah. know. No, I, I, I get what you're saying because I – still wrestle with it as a guy who would identify as a Christian um, with decisions that are made by other people who identify as Christians. And I disagree wholeheartedly on particular topics and how they're approached and how they're handled. Um, in particular, one of, one of probably the biggest ones is uh, how Christians um, – deal with you know uh the homosexual community okay and something that kills me and again this is from going to i would say a more conservative i don't want to call them completely like fundamentalists or anything like that but i would say on the spectrum of christianity the school i attended was on the more conservative side than the more progressive side let's call it that and okay. I worked in the admissions department. We had uh, someone who applied who wanted to do a program through, uh, dis I think it was distance education, uh, but also professed that you know they were they were homosexual, and and immediately it was shot down. Like no, this person can't mm -hmm. be can't be associated with us. 
because we can't have our name on uh, a, a gay guy's you know resume or we can't have him graduate from our school and you know maybe that wasn't exactly the message they may have tried to sugarcoat it a bit but that's what I was getting from them because I thought I mean he's he's doing it by distance ed like he's not going to be on campus where maybe you feel like he's going to infect people with his philosophy like i don't know what the logic is there but Uh, you know i was seen as the person that would infect people with philosophies too and i wasn't even homosexual christians are very nervous about that kind of invasion right absolutely and and i mean i guess what's bothered me is the mentality of how do we you know a lot of christians would say that they disagree with the you know, homosexual community and their lifestyle and their attitudes based off of biblical principle. But to me, the biblical principle that comes out of comes out more than anything is like the love, you know? Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people are like, you know, falling in line with you on that. Yeah. Like I like you see a lot of like, you know, I have a a friend here in uh, Hamilton who's a pastor named Kevin Makins and yeah. he has uh, you know, he has an LGBTQ presence in his church. Yeah. And um I I think a lot of people don't know how to wrestle with the biblical ideals uh because you know in the Christian faith community there is a lot of people that don't know how do you preserve biblical ideals while still loving people? Mm-hmm. Right? I think that's, you know, like if we give the benefit of the doubt here, I think that's where that kind of divide comes from. Yeah. Um, I've been in a lot of these debates over the years. When I yeah. was in Bible college, I was too progressive for people's likings. I, I, and this is when people would say homosexuals couldn't even sit in the pews of a church. Right. And the thing that always boggled my mind was I remember I was reading the one verse. It was in First uh, Corinthians, I believe, and it was in a list. And that was the thing that I always had a hard time with: why no one else ever talked about the other things in that list. Because they yeah. said these things are going to hell, and gluttony was in there, yeah. like with homosexuality. So I never understood why you would condemn the homosexuals while stuffing your face with Swiss chalet after church. Right, right. You know, I never understood that concept when you were in the list. Well, you know, so – sorry, what's that? Well, I was just going to say it's very funny because I find that a lot of Christians – and this isn't me just like wanting to beg on Christians for the next half hour or anything like that. But what I do find a lot of the time is – and I don't know that I can say this about all religious groups or anything like that, but, you know, especially amongst the people that I knew and dialogued with and, and you know, had disagreements and debates and whatever you want to call them with, um, a lot of it is trying to interpret it so that it fits your lifestyle, so that I can justify the way I live. I'm going to say this is cultural, but this is, you know, set in stone, Um and you know it it's a lot of that back and forth and making it so that it it works for you i find a lot of the time yeah well it's originally layered because like the reason why churches have specific uh ideologies is so the you know a large amount of people can subscribe to them easier right it's just the mm-hmm. it's it's just the way the christian brand works cuz you're talking to a large audience about complex subjects in simple ways yeah so it's easier to say homosexuals are bad than to wrestle with the nuance, 
right? Where I always think of that list. I think of that list. And my answer to Christians that are showing, uh, you know, uh, negativity or like anything like that towards uh, homosexuals or, you know, anyone in the LGBTQ community, I'm just like, you're on the list too. I'm on yeah. the list. I just say that we're all on the list, man. Yeah. Like, like, ease up, be a dude, and <laughs> go forward. No, like, it's true. It's true. if we're all on the list, like, why are you pointing at others on the list and saying, hey, you're on that list? It makes no sense. It's, it's I don't know. I, I think... It's really interesting because you take someone that's like very conservative and rejects that, right? And then their son comes out of the closet. And you'll either see them reject their own son for an ideology or they'll reject their ideology for their son. Yeah, you only really have those two options, right? It's only those two options, right? And so, and like, I, I always say you don't know what a person is until push comes to shove. Like, whenever I hear an argument on pacifism, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if you're a pacifist until someone breaks into your house with a gun. That's exactly it. That's I don't exactly know it. if you're a pacifist until that moment, you know? So, like, you, like, a lot of times, if it's just talking, and what you're saying, if you're just trying to reinforce something that makes you more secure and comfortable in your own life, because that's what makes you feel safe, and it's not just Christianity. Our entire society is seeking a safe space. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I would agree. Like, that's the big wrestling comedy right now. Like, they want comedy to be safe when comedy was always an outlier art form. Yeah. It was always, yeah. you know, it was always on, like, it, it kind of attracted the dregs of society. And then those of us that it felt like we didn't fit in anywhere, we were able to look at society with a prophetic eye and, you know, and the words to match and be able to just precisely get it. Well, you and, know, and it's allowing yourself to, like, really express yourself in the way that you feel most comfortable, you know. And it's tricky because, yeah. Christianity is an easy thing for us to kind of like pick apart only because we both have had interactions with it and it's you know it, I could I could easily defend it though. Oh, absolutely. Like, you and know that's what the I thing, mean, right? Like, it's been good to us and it's been bad to us, you know? Yeah. And so you've seen the good sides of it and you've seen the bad sides to it and it's it's tricky, but at the same time again, I don't want to just like bag on it in any way because again, it is something that I identify with. It's something that I do enjoy practicing. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I have my qualms with it just like anyone else, uh, probably who, who would identify as a Christian does as well, you know? Yeah. Like if, if people wanted to say, Clifford, talk about Christian people, right. And I were to, you know, paint with a broad brush and do what I used to do when I was younger, say, well, the Christian church, this, the Christian church, that, right. Um, yeah, it's going to come out very negative. But if you say Clifford talk about Christian people, and I talk about Benjamin Price, yeah. I talk about Maddie B, right? Then I that's talking about Christian people. Yeah, you know, and uh, and if I were to talk about Christianity again, the broad brush, it comes with histories of marginalization and bad behavior and hypocrisy and corruption. And, like, if I were to delve in the broad brush, but if you were to say, Clifford, talk about Christianity, and I talk about, again, people, specifically the person of Jesus Christ, Yeah. well, now we're getting into it. We're getting into who Jesus is, and I feel like that conversation of who Jesus is always comes back to who you are, because there's Jesus, 
as a literary character, as a person, a historical figure, however you want to view him, Mm -hmm. is a reflector. He is something that makes you reflect because the he opposed authority figures in a way that we should and he like he embraced the marginalized and those on the outside in the way we should and he stood up for what was right in the way we should and he died for what was right in the way that we should and that is someone i can definitely be like please be my mirror i would yeah. love that my mirror you know what i mean mm-hmm. and this is and this is where my complex is as a comedian because I've said this before, where as a comedian, I feel like I don't belong in the world of Christianity. And as a Christian, I don't feel like I belong in the world of comedy. Right, right. So you got this I've, dichotomy where you're trying to fit in both almost. Yeah, I feel like a stranger in two worlds. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. I don't know how to make sense of it. Right, right. Now, do you feel like you probably relate to one more than the other? Um, yeah, I probably lean more towards comedian than Christian. Right. If I were to think about identity wise, um, there's just something about when I'm on stage, it feels very right. But there is also something that feels, um, missional about comedy. So there's a bit of a Christian element involved in that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, see, because I, oh, sorry. Yeah. I was just going to tack on that, like, I think that, like, what people need right now is someone to bring them together because they don't seem to know how to. And, like, I think that's where I come in. I think, like, my, like, I've been looking at my job as a comedian as I got to string the room together. All these people have different worldviews and different responses to everything going on in Hollywood. You know, like when when I'm talking to women in the crowd, I have to understand that these women aren't just women in the crowd. They're women that have experienced most likely harassment and sexual assault in their own life that they felt marginalized for years. And they finally have strength in numbers and they're a part of a movement. And this is making men feel differently and women feel differently. And everyone's coming in with that baggage and I'm an alleviation, right? Like, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to help you let go of that baggage at least for 60 minutes here, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right? You're, yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing. And that's that's what I think I appreciate about comedy the most is it, it allows you to kind of, regardless of what's going on in life, even when I'm sitting at home and watching it on Netflix, you know, I'm able to turn my brain off and just appreciate the words that are coming out of the comedian's mouth, you know, the points he's trying to make, or she, sorry. Um, the Because girls know. are funny, too. Well, I want to be politically <laughs> correct, because it's not like I just lit, watch, guys. I, I was uh, quoting South Park, though. Oh. Like, Cart- Cartman spends a whole season going, yeah, Kyle, because girls are smart and funny. Smart and funny. And, like, this is my girlfriend. She's very smart and very funny. And, like, she's all season doing that. I thought, I thought that was really funny. Uh, well, and, and but it's, you know, it's about, you know, being able to just, not necessarily distract yourself, but being able to, well, I guess it is kind of distracting yourself, but just being able to appreciate something outside of your own, like, current situation, I think, sometimes, you know? Yeah, like, you know, I think, like, as far as, like, stand-up as an entertainment form, I think that's dying, you know? Like, people get entertainment in 140 characters on Twitter and on YouTube and 
you know, like I think we're looking for experiences and moments and memories and just things that tap us back into being real people. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's where the evolution of comedy is going to go next is how do comedians make people people? Like, I think that's the only thing we need to remind people right now is that, like, we got to get grounded and treat each other like equals. Like, because in this strive for equality and this strive for fairness and this strive for safety and sensitivity and all this kind of stuff, uh, people have gotten superiority complexes in their positioning. Yeah. Like, you know, if they're fighting for a cause, they think that gives them you know, a right to be self-righteous or pious or, you know, learn how to spin against their enemies. And then they end up, it ends up becoming survivor in digital form. I'm actually hoping that net neutrality leaves so we can all get off the internet. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, yeah, privatize the internet. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Let's go back to the forest and play with egg cartons and drink honey lager. Like, let's just go back, you know? <laughs> Drink some dough piss and call it a day. <laughs> Drink some dough. There's a t-shirt idea for you. Drink some dough <laughs> piss and call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be a huge seller in Oshawa. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's totally true, though. And, I, yeah, man, I think there's something special about comedy with just allow it to just be entertainment value. And I think some of the special things that come out of that is, you know, some of these comedians that I was listing earlier um, – a lot of their, you know, bits are really focused on experiences that they had growing up or that yeah. have experienced in adulthood. And I just, I appreciate that so much because maybe I haven't gone through it myself, but I might know someone who's gone through a similar situation or, you know, I know what they're talking about basically. And, and I can just like kick back and relax. It's almost like when you're sitting around in a room with a bunch of guys and like everyone starts sharing stories and they... They start somewhere real simple, and then by the end, you're like, holy smokes, how do we get here? Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, how do, that's not good. That's like my buddy Kevin in Oshawa. Like, <laughs> you start the story circle, yeah. by the end of it, you're like, Kevin, what have you done? <laughs> <laughs> how are you not in prison? Yeah, like, yeah. That, that's kind of how it gets to you a lot of the time, right? And so I think there's there's something to be appreciated in, in that sense of comedy because – so often, I think, especially in today's comedy, like you can relate in some way to something that they're saying. Yeah, and like for me, like I find centering on personal stories to be really important. Like when I share that that story of my son's birth, yeah, do I think other people are going to relate to it directly? No, it's a it's a very unique circumstance, and you know, it's a weird look at faith. Right. When I talk about concepts like modern miracles and weaponized Christianity and that kind of thing and like, you know, the psychology of calming down a charismatic that's off the canon, there's just something really. Yeah, you might not relate to that directly, but I think there's something very human about that story that makes you understand that it's a human story. Right. Yeah. And I would agree with you there. And maybe that's where the relation can come in. I don't know. I don't know if people relate to that story. Yeah. No, I I mean, I liked it. I liked it. And I think what I could appreciate about that story, even myself, who's not a father in any way, I hope. Well, no, no, definitely not a father. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, I'm not a dad, but you know what? I got a lot of friends who are just recently becoming mothers and fathers. And 
I've heard all the like comical stories about being in the delivery room and the craziness and the chaos and everything like that. And so it's like, I can sit back and relate and go, wow, like, yeah, Cliff had one of those too. And it's totally different than anything else I've heard. But you at least understand that emotions are high, that chaos always ensues in these situations. And, you know, I, I can do nothing but sit back and laugh about how your mom handled the whole situation, right? <laughs> yeah. So, well, and you know, uh, thank God my mom provided some comedy in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, something that I can uh, shed some light on. And even using prayer as a – like, she used it as a weapon too. Yeah, yeah Right? Absolutely. Like, she, she literally used prayer as a weapon where, like, they were using their faith as a weapon. She used prayer as a weapon. Yeah. And uh, so really weird seeing Christian ideologies clash like that. Yeah. And, like, in a form of chess. Yeah. Right? Okay. And like, oh, Eli, yeah, you go. No, no, no. Finish your <laughs> thought. Finish your thought. No, I, I'm just gonna add on to that. That like, I think with that situation too, like, there is certain responsibilities of with me as a storyteller that I I try and make sure not to fully vilify my in laws on that. Right. You know, I I I express that they were wrong in the moment. I express that you know i gave you their perspective i said you know from their point of view this was real to them yeah right this was they thought their daughter was dying yeah okay so so like let's like that is my way of saying ease off of them they're not the villains here they're just a part of this story right you you know And, and like i think that's where the responsibility of a someone who wants to become a masterful storyteller that's what i'm working towards is being able to practice empathy in my storytelling yeah. you know like a friend of mine who's a toronto cop now he used to tell me that his definition of empathy was literally climbing into another person's body and looking at it looking out of their eyes physically looking out of their eyes Ooh, and I've deep. I've carried yeah I've carried that definition of empathy with me for the rest of my life. People listening to this are like, I thought he was a comedian. This hasn't been very funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we've I feel like we've touched a lot on your your comedic life and and I mean I've pre- see Cliff. This is what I was talking about right from the get go, man. This is what I wanted in a podcast. I just wanted to be. This was like our our original philosophy between myself and Tarek was we wanted it to be like you're sitting in a room having a conversation with the two people on the microphones and yet you're not contributing in any way. You're just sitting there and listening, but it feels like we're sitting in your living room, your car, wherever else with you. And we're just gabbing away. Yeah. I like it to be honest. Like I think it's a really good form. I think this is like, who knows who's listening to this that it's relating to a part of their life that we have no idea that it's going to connect to them in that kind of way. Like I I call those the invisible ripples, right? We have no idea the invisible ripples that we have. So, and we get some pretty outrageous, like we're able to actually track where in the world people are downloading from. Oh yeah. Cool. And so we're able to see all the countries that, uh, that download our episodes. And so we get them from all over the place. There's, I'm sure there are people who have downloaded this that, you know, English is not their first language. And so, I mean. Wait, do you guys have a listenership now? Oh, absolutely, sir. Oh, man. 
this is so cool because I remember you approaching me being like, hey, I'm just a sweaty palm guy that wants pe- to start a podcast. And you, I gave you some tips, and then we uh, went. Then you just left and did your own thing. That's cool. You've built up a uh, people that listen to this and like being a part of it, bro. You betcha. See, and that's the thing. I you betcha. This was something I wanted to say right off the top, but I guess I never really got around to it. Is that you were very instrumental in even seeing this podcast get off the ground, and you probably don't even realize it because I knew nothing about this. Tarek and myself, we sat on his couch one Saturday afternoon and basically he's like, dude, do you want to start a podcast? And I was like, yeah, man, that'd be awesome. But we had no idea what we were doing. We had no idea how to start, uh, where to start, how to even, like, there were so many things. And Ben told me to reach out to you. I did. You know, you and I had some solid conversations about, you know, what to do and what not to do. And uh, it was a lot of that advice that, help get this thing off the ground yeah that's see and there's an invisible ripple i had no idea absolutely right? see, like, and we've been going strong for just over a year now and again i mean like i admitted at the beginning of this like i'm just learning how to best use a stinking microphone and how to fade in and out music <laughs> at the beginning <laughs> of a podcast for crying out loud yeah, but it's, it's raw, it's cool, like, you know, I like it, like, it's good being a part of things like this, and, you know, like, for yourself, like, let's say one day you get, like, a huge listenership, right? You get, like, 100,000 people listening to this. That's thing. a dream. Right? So you get to that point, you got a solid fan base, you're eventually going to have people coming to you and being like, hey, I want to start a thing, or I got an idea, and they're going to come to you for advice. My advice is always, always, always make time to help those people dude always 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 i have already had this happen once wonderful and i even said uh i i would have to look up the email but basically i said the same sage advice you gave to me which was to stay consistent yeah and yeah consistency is key and that was like that was one of the first things that i wrote to this guy because he he texted me one day he's like Hey man, I heard like I know you're in the into podcasting and stuff. Like, how did you get started, sort of thing? And because he was thinking about starting one himself, and so I was like, I'll send you an email with everything that I know, basically. And so I just like dropped all the knowledge out of my head when it came to podcasting to him, and wrote this giant email to him. Yeah, like I have novels I've written to new comedians that are just like, I want to start comedy. How do I do it? Or people that want to, you know, quit alcohol. Yeah. Like, you know, like, they'll be, I want to quit alcohol. How do I do it? And I'll, like, take the time and write to these people and make sure. Because, like, I think, like, again, we're, you know, we're responsible for ourselves. So, like, I take a lot of pride in what it is I do. And you take a lot of pride in what it is you do. Yeah. And so we got to be men of principles. We have to have values. And part of that values is paying it forward respectively. And uh, I always tell this story. There's a comedian in the world. His name is Craig Gass, okay? okay? Craig Gass is pretty well known for, like, he he's done stuff on Sex and the City. Uh, like, if you ever watch that show, he's the overeater. People that watch Sex and the City will know what that means. And uh, 
he was uh, he does Gene Simmons impressions. He used to be on Howard Stern. He was on the roast of Gene Simmons. He he's done a lot of cool things in his life, and he does a lot of shows with rock stars and all this stuff. And uh, he was this instrumental figure in my life where I saw he was coming to Toronto. I saw it on brown paper tickets. This comedian named Craig Gass, he had these credits. He was coming to Toronto. I sent him an email out of the blue. I said, hey, Craig, my name is Clifford. I'm a comedian from outside of Hamilton, from Hamilton. That's outside of Toronto. Um, I would like to, you're doing six shows at the Cadillac Lounge in Toronto. I would like to do one of those shows with you. And then he wrote to me and said, hey, thanks for reaching out. Um, you know, I've been coming. I'm coming to Toronto. And out of all of the comedians in Toronto, not one has wrote me to ask to be on the show. And so for sure, you can be on the first show. And if you do OK, I'll put you on the second show. And if you do good there, you can do on the third show. Yeah. Right. And so I ended up being on all six shows. Wow. And. And when afterwards, after I did all six shows with Craig, the first time he came to Toronto, I said, like, wow, thank you so much. You just gave me this crazy weekend. I got to do all these shows for all these people. And it was so fun. And it was amazing. And I, was, I wasn't quite quitting alcohol yet. And Craig is a recovered alcoholic himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, recovering. <laughs> and, uh, and he is... And so he was actually very instrumental in kickstarting me towards my sobriety, along with a couple other figures in my life, uh, Jerry Hall, other people. And uh, but like something Craig told me, I was like, I was like, why did you let me on? I was a complete stranger. And you not only let me do one show, but you let me do six shows. And since then, we've done 20, 30 shows, you know, and uh but like I'm just like yeah he's just someone like, every time he comes this way we do shows together that's just now a staple and uh, I was like why'd you do that and he said he told me this story when he was 19 years old he was doing comedy and he was at the Laugh Factory in LA and uh, he was supposed to go on and the booker comes up and says yo man you got bumped and uh, then like Chris Rock walks in and they're like yeah we're letting Chris on right mm-hmm. and then chris and then chris rock goes no 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 you're gonna let this guy do five minutes of my time go do your time i'm not bumping you and chris rock gave him that pass not knowing who he was made sure he got stage time yeah and and so now craig paid it forward and pays it forward not just to me to other comedians and other communities yeah right so like is it like as much as like i would love to be like yeah i'm just so naturally moral and i do this i learned that that was a mentor taught it to me Dude, right that's like deep. that's deep. yeah man craig's awesome i like him a lot okay. <laughs> he's a good guy i almost okay no we're wrapping this right here because we're not going to get a more sentimental moment than that i guarantee <laughs> it perfect um, thank you so much man this dude, has been awesome and this was oh my gosh this was so great hang on before you go though i i gotta know uh how can people find you and do you have anything coming up that people can come check out well if anyone's listening from the hamilton area uh last wednesday of every month i run a really cool indie show and a board game cafe called Mancala monk 
Uh, it's at 10 p.m. It's five bucks. Three three comedians and me as the host, and we have a really fun time. Other than that, um, I'm kind of saving my pennies to trying to get to my own club. So I'm not doing a lot of traveling at the moment. Um, but if you want to get a hold of me, Clifford Myers is my name. You can find me on social media, on Twitter and Facebook. I recommend Facebook. It's the most personal. And don't just like don't just add me and then voyeuristic voyeuristically I can't even say that word. Don't just watch me. Like message me, interact with me. Let's become friends. Let's get to know each other. That's what I'm about. So that's what you're gonna be signing up for. Perfect. Um but yeah, like that's just what it is, right? Like, don't yep. just sit there and watch. Be a part of it. So Clifford, like the big red dog, Myers, like the serial killer, and you can go to my website. It's uh, kind of that's how I always <laughs> tell people that. Uh, my website's cliffordmyers.ca or cliffy.tv. Uh, takes you to the same place. I blog, and a lot of these ideas that I've been sharing on the podcast, and like kind of like that, like open struggles of how I'm trying to approach honesty and I don't know if I'm doing it correctly and that kind of stuff. Um, that's a lot about what I talk about on my website. And so if you want a weekly blog, I try my hardest to be consistent. So Derek, that's awesome. And you know what? Uh, I have read many of Cliff's blogs. I love them. Uh, I should probably comment more often than I do, but, uh, dude, I am coming out to Ontario the 27th to the 7th of January. And yes. And I we're going to meet in person. Not only that, I want to know, are you doing any sets, any anything during those 10 days, Cliff? Because I do not want to get cheated out of seeing <laughs> Clifford Myers in person. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to find a place yes. and do a show. Even if it's like a, a tattoo shop floor, we'll figure <laughs> it out. And uh, and what I think we should do when you come down, I think we should do a live podcast with you, me, and Benny. Oh, I completely agree. Triple triple threat. Triple, <laughs> triple yeah. threat. I think that will be fun. Oh, that would be a blast. That would be an absolute yeah. blast. Because I would love to come back. This is a really good podcast. We went over two hours. I kind of saw that coming. And, uh, yeah, I thought this was really good. Dude, no, I, I appreciate you coming on, Cliff. And, yeah, I would be honored to have uh, a conversation with you again, especially while I'm out there. It would be a, a freaking shame if we didn't make it happen. Absolutely. And so thank you so much once again. I appreciate it. Thanks for everyone who stuck around and listened. I know this is, like, way longer than what we're typically used to, but – I also want everyone to know that this is the new norm that I want for you guys is to be able to sit and, and just appreciate a nice long conversation, whether it takes you three days to finally consume the whole thing. Uh, this is this is how real conversations happen, where it takes forever to get through it all, but you know we get through it and there's these satisfying little bits like Cliff calling himself human garbage. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad I deleted that picture. That's gonna oh haunt me one God. day. I, I'll actually just quickly attack onto that. But like, uh, there was one picture where like I was actually kind of like in the same vein as my grandfather. But there was just a picture of me holding a Jewish flag with the Jewish yarmulke on, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, not in 2017." <laughs> delete, delete. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "That's not good at all." Um. <laughs> See, it's, oh. we got these little bits and pieces. We got some really, really <laughs> sentimental stuff. 
Cliff, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, we will I will see you sooner than later, let me tell you, sir. That's awesome, man. All right, you have a good one. Thanks okay. so much, dude. See you, buddy. Peace out.